0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another edition of Hailing Frequencies Open. My name is David, and I'm again joined by Mel and Carrie. Hello, ladies. Hi! This week, we are going to talk about Loud as a Whisper, the fourth episode of season two. Uh, I'm just going to jump right into this. Yes, Carrie?
1: Oh, sorry. Fifth episode.
0: (laughs) Fifth episode. I'm sorry. Um, I'm just going to jump right into this. Um, We open... uh, the ship is going to head to a place called Solus Five. Who are desperate for peace. They only want to talk to one Revi- one mediator, and the mediator they want to talk to is Reva. He apparently um, has like telepathic powers, you know, all this other stuff, um, and he's the only one for the job. The D- Enterprise D is dispatched to Ramadas Three to bring Riva to the planet. Picard, Worf, and Troy are transported down to Ramada's to pick up Riva. Troy calls Worf out on the floor and says he seems very uncomfortable and very unhappy, which is weird because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Also, they don't really follow up onto what the issue is here. Um, it well, just...
1: He, Reva, apparently at some point... Uh, negotiated peace with the and the the peace treaty with the Klingons and the Federation.
0: Right, which leads to another question. Mm -hmm. Reva in this episode looks like he's about 40-ish. Yeah. So how old is he? Because
1: Yeah, because wasn't that signed like 70 years ago? Yeah,
0: it's been a minute. (laughs) Um, But they don't really go any deeper into Worf's misgivings Mm -mm. as far as this other than Worf going we didn't have a word for peace before him okay well let's let's expand on that a little bit let's let's explore that nope it's never brought up again and no one cares um
1: (laughs) it was shot but it was cut
0: (laughs) I don't maybe it was I don't know I'm, I'm
1: assuming I'm just assuming right I don't know for sure
0: but it, that would have been an interesting string to play with in this episode in an episode that i think might have been able to use it because while i don't dislike this episode it it's missing something for me um
1: my other thought on that was maybe it was during kittimer so peace. maybe that way but he did say peace between the Klingons and the Federation right yeah
0: he didn't say peace between the Klingons and Romulans because that never happened Um, yeah no (laughs) yeah never will Um, also I'm not sure why Troy felt it necessary to like push and push and push him to find out what's going on here Um,
1: well probably because he was going down there with them and she needed him to be on point yeah but and not distracted i guess in
0: in future episodes he's also concerned about various things going on when they beam somewhere and she doesn't give a shit so it's weird to me that in this one it's like nope we're calling you on the floor because you have thoughts um
2: it's literally his job to be apprehensive and overprotective when they go places so it's it is odd Mm -hmm. because it's not like he hasn't spent the entirety of the series this far questioning things just be to him make absolute sense but to everybody else they're like what like prime example a few episodes ago he's like we should go to yellow alert and captain Picard's like why well, there's an old Klingon legend about darkness that eats and that's about a space monster that eats entire ships to wharf, it makes perfect sense, but everybody human or any other species on the ship, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But warp, warp as of now, tends to lead with that kind of thought process, which is good for the chief of security.
1: Yeah. Plus... He has to monitor the captain. The captain's going down with them to this, uh, to go collect Riva.
0: Yep. Also, it's, it's very weird. Like this whole thing is just very weird. And again, I feel like if they tugged on this string a little bit more later to like follow up with Worf on this, that might have added an interesting subtext to this episode, but they don't. And he's really backseated in this episode after this initial conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so they beam down. Um, however, they beam down to one of Star Trek's favorite things to do uh, beam down to an empty corridor. Yes, Mel.
2: Sorry to go back to the Wharf Troy thing. I actually think what that scene was about was to actually establish Troy's power pal- abilities because even though we are told and um, at far point that she has abilities and they're used, they're called upon sparsely throughout the series. So far, it has been sparse. It has been, it's, it would be easy to forget that she actually has abilities. Because a lot of the things she does can be done with by somebody who actually just pays really good attention to other people. Like a good therapist can pick things out. So I think that it was to reestablish that she actually has these abilities, that she actually can sense things for other people so that as the, as the um, episode progresses and things happen, it's not like, wait, how does she know how to, how can she do that? Oh, it's been established in the first five minutes of the episode that she can actually do this.
0: I can totally see that. And in that case, I'm gonna flip it this way. Uh, then she is a terrible counselor because that is not the time nor the place to do that because you have undermined him in front of the captain
2: Boom. exactly you're terrible
0: uh, Um, this goes back to something that we've said before uh, which is Troy's character the first two seasons is written like shit um, yeah that's true she's poorly written she's poorly used and with very few exceptions And this right here is another one because what's the captain slash uh, or Commander Riger supposed to think now because Worf hasn't been chief of security for that long in canon. Do they fully trust him with this job? Do they fully, you know? Well, she just cut his legs out from underneath him. So, but again, the problem goes back to what I said earlier. They don't pull on this string anymore. So they let it lie. And so it's like, all right, well, I guess we're not supposed to care about that. So I I think, Mel, you are absolutely right now that I now that you've said it.
1: We're Thank supposed you. to figure it out ourselves. Um,
2: my my work here is done. Goodbye.
0: <laughs> Good night. Um <laughs> anyway, um a man in a with a big beard and very 80s hair comes in uh wearing a mini pleated jacket. Um, shoulder
1: pads to the gods
0: yeah (laughs) if you didn't know this was shot in the 80s you definitely know now Um,
2: listen I only accept the shoulder pads because his his coat robe thing that he's wearing is beautiful
0: oh I'm not knocking that
2: and I think that they wouldn't have been able to get the pleats in it if not
0: for the voluminous shoulder pads. For sure. I'm just pointing out that while it is a very beautiful outfit, it is also, if you didn't know it was the 80s, you do when you see it because it screams it. Um, he's not talking and everyone's just kind of staring at him. Um, three other people arrive: two men and a woman. One man's wearing a turban for some reason. Um...
1: A turban, it was a very strange, it, it, I, it almost looked like maybe a beret. It, it,
0: it vaguely resembles a turban or it, a like like a head, like a like an Arabic country headdress mm. where it's like you have like the ring around the outside with the cloth that coat, you know. That's kind of what it looks like to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not that, as you pointed out, but that's what it no. looks like. um it's also fairly ornate um both the gentlemen are wearing pretty ornate outfits uh the girl though is not her outfit is not as flashy as the other two however i will give this actress credit this outfit is stunningly simplistic and looks great
1: Mm -hmm. it's very um grecian looking to me i think they are supposed to be a model of a greek chorus yeah
0: yep and I appreciated the fact that her outfit was also not hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. Right? Only one of them was kind of sexualized, but when they explained that character's role, it actually makes sense in that fashion. Um, so I appreciated that they didn't go with the hypersexualized route at this point.
2: You could tell, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said I'm sorry. You could tell that. Um, a woman made that decision.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because absolutely. at this point,
2: the men have been making the decisions for what the women are wearing. Mm-hmm. That's true. But so you could tell that a woman was like, she's not supposed to be the sexy one, so she shouldn't be pulling focus. There's no reason yeah. for her boobs to be out
1: none
0: at all um so these three explain that they are his interpreters since he is deaf uh for many generations there have been people like reva and interpreters like them since he comes from the ruling line on his world that line lacks the gene for hearing they call themselves the scholar the warrior and that which binds them i enjoyed this conversation i enjoyed the whole explanation of this because it all makes sense i specifically enjoy the fact that the gentleman playing reva is actually deaf
1: that he is
0: because so often hollywood takes a shortcut and hires an actor or actress or whoever to play a role for someone who has not a disability but a handicap uh you know something that's different about them they don't hire the people that have something different about them they instead hire you know very capable actors to do it and they just learn sign language and do it themselves so i can appreciate a great deal that star trek is one of the first places to hire someone who actually is deaf to do this role well done
1: oh check this out uh the guy that plays reva Howie Seago, he's from Tacoma.
0: Hooray! Hometown Boy makes good.
1: Hometown Boy makes good. For
2: those of you who do not know, Carrie and David reside in Washington State.
1: We do. We sure do. And
0: for those of you who don't know, Tacoma is just south of Seattle. Um, so, Troy. Uh,
1: here comes the crush. Reva
0: is impressed and attracted by her telepathic capabilities and by her beauty <laughs> I'm gonna say straight up there's no way he's attracted to her telepathic capabilities because if he's done all these negotiations he's met telepathic people before he's yeah. attracted to her because she's hot
1: she's hot you can tell because he he says it with his eyes.
0: The whole episode, he looks at her like he's been starving in a desert and she's a sandwich. <laughs> You're laughing, but I'm not kidding. He I, looks I at her as a starving man looking at a sandwich. Like, I
1: laugh because that's funny. Like,
0: <sighs>
1: <laughs> and because it's true. It is true. The second... He comes to her he just gives her that look uh, and i'm like yep he's hooked
0: <laughs> i wouldn't have been shocked if his first telepathic thoughts to her would have been you me naked later because <laughs> <laughs> that it, you know and as mel points out i always go there but in this case everyone went there because that's oh, yeah. what they're doing
2: yeah yeah because like, he was I'm just not
0: making so good up out of nothing this is legitimately what this is.
1: <laughs> His acting proud oh, without saying anything, we know he got that, us to think that
2: we know that Troy can't actually read minds. She can read her mom's mind, and she can she can do it with Riker, and that's because of practice and time.
1: Mm-hmm. She can't do
2: it with everybody else. She reads feelings and emotions and, and and things like that. I think that if she could have actually read Reva's mind. All she would have heard was bounce, bounce,
1: bounce,
2: <laughs> And that's
1: it. And that's it. What is this odd music I'm hearing? That's
2: what he was, he was putting out. <laughs> uh, so
0: this is made even more clear. So if you didn't pick up on it initially, they spend the first chunk of this episode beating you over the head with this. Because so Picard... When he first says something to Riva, he talks to the chorus, not to Riva, who yells at him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Picard apologizes, saying he didn't mean any insult, um, which Riva accepts and waves off, telling you can't blame Picard,
2: Picard because it's very disorienting.
0: For sure, especially right. because he didn't know any of it. Like he came Here's into this very ill prepared. <laughs>
2: He did go into it very ill-prepared. But here's my question, you mean to tell me that this man has been doing this for what, 40 years, 70 years, 125 years, and no one knew that he was deaf? There's not one document saying Riva's deaf and he has three people with him, like nothing um it's
0: so bad
2: that is very hard to believe right absolutely it yeah, makes no sense Worf would have someone like someone somewhere should have known whether it be like if he's if he's negotiated countless treaties for worlds all over the galaxy somebody has to write it down this this man is deaf and he runs around with three people in white
0: Worf literally said at the beginning he negotiated treaties between the Federation and the Klingons right there. Mm -hmm. Where's all that information?
2: Right, exactly.
1: By the way, before we go down, Captain, I shouldn't be surprised that he has three people speaking for him. Right. And even if Picard didn't know,
2: which I doubt, because Picard is Picard, Mm -hmm. you know who would know that that fool
1: Data. Data. Yeah.
2: Data would have known.
1: Because all the treaties that he's done are in his brain. Is this pro- his positronic net? Yeah.
2: So,
0: so, what we're establishing here is that for one of the first times or a few times in this series, the Enterprise crew is incompetent.
1: They
2: dropped the ball because no, they you know what? didn't I get the think, information. I don't think it was the Enterprise crew. crew. I honestly think that if the, inter- the if the information was available, they would have gotten it. Mm-hmm. I think it was a I think it was a failure on Starfleet Starfleet's part,
0: for sure. Um, either way, they come into this grossly under, like, under under able to deal with the situation. Um, after he tells Picard that no ill will is perceived. He immediately goes back and, through his chorus, tells Troy she has a fine mind. Yes, I'm sure that's exactly what he was thinking.
1: Yeah, Definitely. fine mind. I'm not
0: saying that she doesn't have a fine mind because, as we find out later on, Troy is very smart it? and very, very capable. But that's was not what this mind is. Her uh, <laughs>
1: mind tells the, iron
0: the iron. mediator <laughs> that the situation on Solas Five is worsening. And he goes, let's go, essentially. And up they go to the ship. Uh, Reva and his interpreter and his entourage, I'm going to call them now, arrive on the bridge to meet some of the bridge crew. He is greeted by Riker, LaForge and Data. He's very, he's- Wait a minute. Yeah.
2: He is greeted, ladies and gentlemen, he is greeted by Riker, LaForge and Data fine but you know who else is on the bridge (laughs) and I also and I believe this is also an establishing because of what happens later which I have a rant on that so be prepared but Dr. Pulaski is sitting on the bridge talking to Riker and then here come the captain and Worf and Troy and Riva and his chorus And Picard then introduces Riva to Riker, LaForge, and Data, and and not Pulaski because Pulaski scoots off. Um, And I think she was only on the bridge because it's an establishing of what comes later. I found it very interesting that she was not introduced at that Mm -hmm. point, but she wasn't even though she was on the bridge and it wasn't established that she actually left because she doesn't say i'll see you later she just isn't there anymore
0: it's true um i agree with you it's probably more to establish for later uh that's
1: that's funny because i didn't even notice she was there right (laughs) well my thing is we don't need to establish her
2: she's a thorn in the in the side of the the enterprise
0: so Riva is genuinely interested in data and LaForge's visor. Genuinely. I loved the conversation between Jordy and Riva about the difference between like the visor and the cor- and the corollaries between like what he does with his chorus and what the visor does for Jordan. I thought that conversation was fantastic fantastic and it felt like a real conversation if that yes. makes, did. if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah that makes sense it's, for me
0: did. that's what makes this part of the episode work is that it just sounds like a real conversation of just two people who have um you know disability whatever you want to call it but having it found having a way around a, it right have found a way around it but they're having a moment together
1: yeah that's
0: genuine and like true mm. um he after this he immediately turns to troy and goes can you show me to my quarters Allah, uh, can you show me to your quarters so we can commence naked time <laughs> um
1: now my question is do the chorus have to come for that <laughs>
0: That's an interesting question, and I'm really excited that we didn't get to find out because I don't. That's not.
2: No, no, no. no. They talk, they actually say it. Not to jump the gun, not to jump on you, David, but Troy looks at the card and he's like, Yeah, sure, that's fine. So then, Reva, Troy, and Reva's, the guy who is Reva's libido in the chorus, leaves. And the other two stay. And Riker's like, well, what about you two? And they explain that in situations like this, they, their presence is a hindrance. So they don't go. So that's two down. And then Riva makes it seem later, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he makes it seem later that he keeps his libido chorus there, his libido guys there until they don't really need words anymore. So I'm thinking that there's probably a point or a signal that the the libido knows when he is to remove himself from the room. And he does later when they he does actually and i think reva like nods his head or looks at him or something and he he just scoots out but i think that when they get to the point where it's going to get physical and it's very clear that it's going to get physical libido just excuses himself from the room quietly the,
0: the signal is when Riva <laughs> takes off his pants um <laughs>
2: i mean if it's that far in he stayed too long
0: (laughs) right you've overstayed your welcome sir um
2: he should have been gone like 20 minutes ago so
0: (laughs) when they get to his quarters he invites troy to dinner she says sure um they have prepared a briefing for him on the conflict however he's not interested in any of that what he wants to know is why it started and all of them, including Data, which doesn't make sense, look at him and go, I don't know. <laughs> data of all of them would know.
1: Data
0: would it's know
1: been, facts.
0: Yeah, even if, facts. even if it's been lost to most parts of history, like on the planet, there's probably documentation somewhere that Data read that explained why it started. And then... To make it worse for the incompetent crew in this episode they ask well what changed to prompt the desire for peace and they all go i don't know again my question is what do you know
1: yeah what do you know in the first place like you didn't
0: do any of the research before you went and got him you just know that this conflict is happening but you don't know anything about why it started or what's changing on the planet to suddenly make them want peace. If, a, like, let's say this is the Cold War here on Earth, the US and USSR are fighting, like legitimately out and out killing each other. Then one day both sides just randomly out of the blue go, I want peace, great, why? What changed? It's not that there are people that that you've run out of people to murder. There has to be something that precipitates the reason why both sides are now like, nope, we want peace, we're done. The fact that the Enterprise doesn't know that is
1: maddening. Why they don't know that, this is my theory. All they were tasked to do was to get Reva and bring him to the planet. So
2: the people on the inhabitants of the planet refused to speak to anyone but Riva but him so it's very so and to me I give that to them I give Mm -hmm. them not knowing why they want peace because if they contacted an outside we don't even know if they contacted Starfleet direct because they're Mm -hmm. so far out they could have it could have gone through several channels before they got to Starfleet to contact Riva and it could have been lost in transit translation or they could have just said we were only talked to riva and we want peace
0: so my only counter argument for that is the federation has satellites and scanning and all this other stuff you mean to tell me that they didn't scan the planet or take a look at it in some fashion before sending a starship there that could potentially be attacked by them it could be a ploy you know all of that other stuff that's for me where this falls apart is because I'm like you're you're assuming a lot here with not having any basic information to me no I think
2: that they would know whether or not that planet was capable of Attacking and damaging the enterprise mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I think... I think that they would probably have enough of an established. I mean, look if these people on this planet know how who to contact to get to Riva, then Starfleet has to be keeping some kind of eye on them, and they would know where their development is.
1: Hmm. I think there's like probably certain protocols for this kind of situation. It's like, they know and have heard of Reva. So they need him, just him. But, you know, Starfleet is obviously going to be like the safest way for him to travel to get to their planet. And the bare minimum that they can do is, you know, like obviously scan for threat you know, to keep him safe until um, they get to that planet. And that's all they really need to do. Um, they haven't been asked to help in aiding Riva deal with this situation. They've only been tasked to taxi him to this planet. Hmm. That's it.
0: That's true. But then... But I then smell, shit happens. I I smell a Prime Directive issue too. Because mm-hmm. are they warp capable? Are they supposed to be fiddling around with this planet? Like, you, there's all sorts of other stuff that not to go into. Then,
2: but there's I no understand what... of them having ships. So, I I just w- have always gone into it with they're not warp capable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think they would be. I don't think they would be messing with the Prime Directive if they were reached out to.
0: For sure. Um, so, Riva and Troy are having a romantic dinner. Um, Riva Re- is uh, very interested in naked time. Troy is much more wanting to get to know him a little bit and slow play it. Um, So they have a conversation through sign language, which is really cool. Um, However, Picard interrupts. Uh, The Enterprises reach Solus Five, and Picard discovered that the ceasefire has been broken. Reva appears on the bridge with um, to communicate with the factions. he starts talking to one and then he talks to the other one and then they manage to convince him to stop fighting. Uh, he then needs to find, figure out what the meeting spot's gonna be. Picard shows him to the computer in order to locate a meeting spot to conduct the peace meetings. He chooses the Battle of Zambrano on a hilltop. This is part of my argument from earlier that information is known about this conflict So more information should have been available to them as far as how this started. Because they know where major battles have taken place. They know, you know, so there should be some more base information here than what they seem to have. Uh, The scholar member of his chorus tells Picard that the time for killing has come to an end. Well, I mean, it's a very bold prediction. Uh, Worf, Riker, Riva, and his chorus all blame down to the site. Uh, Riva decides that he wants a table and torches to set the stage, um, although the two factions arrive before these are beamed down. Uh, Riva talks to the two factions, um, telling them they've shown true courage by coming to the summit. Um, As Riva speaks, one of the members of the faction uh, shoots at them. Uh, Riker pulls Riva aside. Uh, this person, these weapons apparently are always set on kill, and he vaporizes all three members of the chorus. The beam didn't look that big to vaporize three people in one shot, but you know, well, well done for accuracy. Um, he is immediately obliterated by the other person of his faction immediately both he and the other person beg riva to stay but wisely riker goes fuck this and they all be back to this enterprise that is the right call
2: i actually this scene makes me feel bad for um the the faction leader who had the um turn coat because he actually is the one who's really begging. Like, no, we need we need you, Reva. Like, we actually need this. Um, and he that was probably one of his like trusted second in command and the guy who betrayed him. That sucks.
0: Yeah, it does. Um back aboard, uh, Reva, despite both factions begging him to come back, Reva is very unhappy. And I can understand that completely and refuses. Um, He's using sign language, but no one knows it. Um, In the observation lounge, Picard immediately asks Data to learn sign language. Makes sense. And then he has Dr. Pulaski see if she can develop some way of helping him communicate. I'm not sure what she's supposed to do, but the data project time.
1: Sense.
0: <laughs> Go, Mel.
2: Okay. There are two things that happen in this episode with Dr. Pulaski. The first is she talks to Jordy about his visor. Now, the very first time we see Jordy in sickbay is in season one, and he's talking to to Dr. Crusher and he it is established that he has pain in his visor, and there's nothing that they can do but give him drugs. But he refuses the drugs because the drugs will it, inhibit the way his he can see through his visor, and he doesn't want that. There's no surgery. He can't grow his eyes back. If this is just his lot in life, and he has chosen to live with it, but every time he gets a new doctor, he has to go through this. That was also established in his meeting with Dr. Crusher. So seemingly in this episode, he is having his first meeting and conversation about his eyes and visor with Dr. Pulaski, which is already annoying. I'm annoyed for him, so I can only imagine how he feels. But Dr. Pulaski then says, I am a worker. I am the best doctor ever in the universe, and I can grow your eyes back. I've already done it to two other people. I can give you everything you've ever wanted. And then once she gets the hook in him, she's like, well, really? All I can give you are, like, options. There's no guarantees that it would actually work. I could just fuck you up more than you already are. But we should try it because you never know. I was like, you know, the whole time I, I, and I know I don't like her, so I'm already biased, but the whole time I'm watching this conversation and I'm watching her face, to me, it's not, she doesn't want to help Jordy as much as she wants another person to experiment on so that her name can go in, into the history books that she is this genius doctor who was able to perform miracles for blind people. When Jordy is hesitant, she like he, hesitating. It's a lot to think about. But instead of her just being like, you know what, I know it's a lot to think about, which she actually says later. As I saying, I know it's a lot to think about. Think it over. If you have any more questions, feel free to come talk to me. She jumps down his throat. Like he's just supposed to lay down on the table and be like, yeah, let's do it right now. That's another reason the way she's pushy is another reason to make me think she doesn't care about Jordy. She just cares about herself and how the medical field is going to remember her and the things that she's done. That's the first part of the rant. The second part of the rant is the first time we meet Reva, the chorus explains to us his gift. If you want to call it a gift, I believe that's what he calls it. Um, It's hereditary. It's changed, there's nothing they can do to fix it. And he lives with it. It's a part of his family, just like all these other ruling lines have some kind of thing. And they mention the Habsburgs who had hemophilia. Um, That is part of his genetic line. So there's nothing to be done. The fact that Picard sends him to the doctor to get him checked out is the stupidest thing that happened in this episode. And there are a lot of stupid things that happened in this episode. Why? We already know what you were there Picard when they explained what, the, what, what it was. So why would you send him to the doctor for her to get, come back with the same exact, oh, well, it's genetic and there's nothing we can do about it. That's not helpful. What he needs is not from a doctor. What he needs is, is grief counseling But he's too busy trying to have sex with the counselor that he can't get any grief counseling because now he's just frustrated. He's sexually frustrated and he's grief stricken. But they send them to the doctor. And I believe that the scene with Jordy about reconstructing his eyes was to establish that maybe she could work a miracle and get this man to hear. But they're completely different circumstances. And I think it was a bad call for Picard to send him to her thinking that she was just going to all of a sudden, fix and five haven't been able to fix his entire life or his entire familial line. Uh, also, I'm tired of her being on this show and I want her to go away. <laughs> okay, I'm done.
0: Okay, so here's the deal. My problem with this sequence between her and Jordy is it undercuts the good that's in this episode it undercuts the whole thing about you can be different but still persevere and still be the best you her conversation with Jordy throws all that out the window where it's just like oh but don't you want to just be like everyone else
1: why he's fine with himself and, he's been himself his whole life
0: and Jeez. behind the scenes the reason that the scene between her and Jordy happened was because Jordy didn't want to wear the visor or LeVar didn't want to wear the visor
1: mm-hmm.
0: that didn't mean that he didn't want to be the character to be blind he did not want to wear the visor anymore because he has very expressive eyes which is true so he wanted to be able to use them Well, this was their way of being like, okay, if we decide to do that, then we've implanted that we can do this and then we'll go. But then they decided not to do it until, uh, what was it? First first contact? Yeah, first contact is when he got rid of the visor. But it completely, like there's other places to have this conversation, not in this episode. This episode, it's, it's it's a cool idea and there's cool stuff happening and it's really like hey no matter what you can you can do it you know you you're just be who you are you don't have to be other people except jordy jordy you know you really want to be like everyone else and it just doesn't work for me um, troy tell so data learns sign language in 26 minutes um Reva's appreciative, but tells Dave that he can't convey the emotion necessary to put the words across, which is true. I ain't mad about it. Troy tells Reva that she'll conduct the negotiations, and she asks him for help on how to prepare for to properly negotiate with the hostile factions. Reva explains several important aspects of negotiating peace um, One thing is turning an adva- disadvantage into an advantage. He then becomes incredibly inspired. My problem with this sequence is Troy should have watched Picard negotiate between people many times. So what like what else does she need to like,
2: it wasn't about her negotiating it was about her inspiring him
0: for sure i get it
2: to solve his own problem
0: i get it i just am more taking
2: they were doing reverse psychology
0: (laughs) they weren't doing it very well
2: (laughs) well i mean listen no they weren't but still that's what they were trying to do
0: So Reva decides that the best way to resolve the confrontation is for him to teach sign language to both factions. I love this idea, actually. Because if the factions learn to talk to him, they will also learn to talk to one another. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm for it. The Enterprise beams Reva down to the planet along with a table and two torches and then leaves. I hope Reva doesn't die.
2: Uh, they didn't leave a security guard they didn't leave a change of clothes they didn't leave a a thing of water that was just on the planet in the middle of the desert with a table and two torches they're just
0: like deuces and they just left
2: they didn't leave a replicator so maybe he like they didn't put him a (laughs) shepherd
1: or like anything
0: I mean what if he needs a sandwich he can't get one. Well, um, he's going
1: to have to sign it to these people.
0: Sandwich. <laughs> like,
1: sandwich. Food. Mouse. Um, sandwich. i send a
2: signal when I'm ready to get picked up. And it's like, <laughs> they didn't leave you a communicator. Sure How didn't. are you going to send a signal?
0: So, How are
2: these people did.
0: So the end of this episode is Picard thanking Troy for her help with Riva, And says that while she can read his thoughts, he wanted to tell her himself. She can't read your thoughts.
1: emotions god damn it she can read
0: emotions (laughs) not thoughts it is incredibly annoying throughout next generation because they fiddle with that all the time
1: all the time it's so annoying
0: that's part but that's part of the joy of star trek is it it's like it it, but it throws it off because like oh well i can't read your mind and the very next week it's like why were you thinking that? What you literally just told us that you can't read my mind, and yet here and we are—you're reading word, my you're mind,
1: telling me what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, that that always got me.
0: So, before we give our final thoughts, so here's some some behind the scenes stuff. So, Howie Segu, uh who played Riva is deaf and uses American Sign Language. He'd actually petitioned the producers to create a show about deaf people, um, in part to dispel untrue and prejudicial myths about them. I love that. Wow. Uh, in the for, however, the producers in the first draft, Riva sp- learned to speak overnight after a mechanical translator he used to communicate with his chorus failed. What? <laughs> wow. Uh, and Howie to his credit is just like, yeah, that's gonna be a no.
2: <laughs> I really, really want to know what the what the cocaine bill for this group of writers and producers for the, the first couple seasons. Well, not the first season, the second season was. Because they they had to be on drugs for a lot of this.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Because
2: a sure. lot of this just doesn't make any sense or like Gene, whatever whatever stories Gene brought in that were left over from the original. Like, I wanna know, was Gene on LSD in the 60s? Like, what was the drug of choice? Because it would explain so much.
0: No, no, no. Um, some other interesting things, uh, when they are selecting the beam down site, that monitor in the back, it is a live video monitor. So instead of it being projected later, it was projected there right then. Uh, They don't use it again until the episode, A Matter of Honor. And then they don't use it again until the very end of the series. All good things. Uh, And then, of course, when they did the films, those are live monitors. Uh, Will Wheaton met William Shatner for the first time while this episode was being filmed. And apparently Shatner was a dick to him. You think and so I mean. Wheaton now tells the story for comedy, which is cool. Um so now knowing what we know, I'm About gonna start who? this episode. Now that we know what we know, oh no, you're gonna go first. Uh what did you rate this episode? Yes, what did you rate?
2: why do i have to go first
0: because i said damn it
2: Um, (laughs) and who are you
0: i'm the boss this episode um (laughs) next episode you're the boss so you can pick whoever you want um
2: next episode david gets no speaking time
0: oh right (laughs) i'll
2: be here he was like don't threaten me with a good time
0: hey all right no uh Final thoughts, and what do you rank this episode at?
2: Six, and I have no final thoughts, because my rant was... Those were all the thoughts. For sure. (laughs) Those were all my thoughts. Carrie?
1: I would give this one a seven, because this one was actually a really good episode, uh, despite a few things, of course, but the representation for the deaf community in this episode fantastic and especially being in like the 80s when you didn't really have a lot of characters in tv shows or movies that were actually deaf and actors um i mean now you still don't have it no. i mean now you still don't have it but uh, what was that one molly matlin yes. uh, marley marley matt marley uh she did she was a deaf actress. I, I would have to look up all of her stuff, but um, well, her, and- her she did. Okay, so her and then Howie, those are like the only two actual deaf actors that I can think of that still kind of do stuff. But I, I do love the representation that he got in this episode and how he was with Jordy. And that whole conversation that they had about their disabilities and how they're actually happy with themselves. And if they didn't have these disabilities, then they wouldn't be, like, unique people. And, you know, they wouldn't be able to do the things that they do otherwise, possibly. So that was a that was good for me. I like that. The whole trying to romance Troy thing was a little... I didn't really care for that, but I understand kind of why he latched on to her and because he he knew at some level he could communicate with her without his chorus, but she still needed his words and stuff. But they were able to actually like figure it out and communicate and rather quickly, I, I would say um yeah but other than that you know it was a good episode kind of well-rounded and i like the representation that was happening
0: perfect i give this episode a six this would have been higher for me if that stupid conversation between Jordy and and pulaski didn't happen hmm because, yeah. as you pointed out, representation matters, and the fact that they tried no matter what the backstage reason was, but the fact they decided in this episode to try and have that other conversation defeats what this episode is, to me. Mm. Um, the performances in it are fine. Like, you know, you um, <laughs> Howie is really, really good. As Reva, I give him a lot of credit. Um, and it, it this is one of the few episodes that most of the crew, your everyday crew, didn't actually need to be in this episode. Um, I actually would like have liked this episode to be more have Jordy in it more than he was and the fact that he wasn't i think is a missed opportunity but then again much like troy i also know that they don't start really writing stories for jordy until season 3 which is unfortunate but it is what it is um so i mean i think that it hits but when it missed, it missed hard and just never fully gets it back afterwards. Um, the way Reva figures out how to negotiate the piece, I love that idea. Um, I think it's a really cool idea. But that miss in the middle just completely sucked the wind out of my sails for me. You know, I'm sure there are other people that. It didn't. And that's fine, too. You know, as we've said before, like what you like. We're just telling you what we think. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So that is the end of this week's episode. Be sure to join us next week when we watch another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. But don't ask me what it is, because I don't know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. It's the schizoid, man. I don't know what it is either. Hopefully it's a data episode. It is a data episode.
1: Is it measure of a man? No, no. It's Schizoid Man. Schizoid Man? Yeah. Okay. okay. That um one old. Scientist Luther, everybody.
2: I'm, I'm just giving it away say this right now um, that if when Measure of a Man happens, you may not hear David and Carrie. You it may just be fine. To see me. That's because fine. that is mm-hmm. my all-time favorite episode and I love every single minute of it.
0: But anyway, join us next week for Schizoid Man. And until then, keep your hailing frequencies open. Have a great day.
1: Good night. Bye.